My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, where you will experience original podcasts discussing salient current events with a focus on the facts, evidence, and available data of the topics and issues selected. Let us begin another episode of the Over the last few Labor Day weekends, I have used this time to visit some of our national parks. Primarily I focused on visiting our national battlefields, one significant in our battle for independence as well as sacred from our own battles among our own states. If you like the outdoors and history, I strongly recommend that you take the time to do so. Many offer accommodations like air-conditioned bus tours accompanied by tour guides from the National Park Service who do a great job of helping you see the hallowed grounds from the point in time when these served as the arena for our fight for freedom and to protect our union. The cliché we all know and hear often is that we should all know our history because those who do not understand what happened in the past are destined to repeat the same mistakes that led up to the conflicts and events that stand out in time. Also, the events of our history are part of our culture. The good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. The University of North Carolina runs a commercial talking about the tragedy occurring in Ukraine caused by Russian attacks focused on cultural sites. I saw it when I watched the game against the University of South Carolina. The anthropologist spoke of the statues and monuments being an important emblem of the culture and an inspired action for him to go and help preserve that culture. That is how many conservatives felt during the violent summer of love where hysteria-driven mobs attacked statues and memorials. While the left wing defended these actions and stated that nations do not memorialize the losing side of the wars. But these statues and memorials are important symbols and reminders. We cannot be foolish enough to try to pretend like slavery did not happen or try to apply values of today to yesterday. While slavery was black marked for society, it is important to know, remember, and ensure that other forms of slavery are not allowed to come to existence. You cannot simply hide our history or at the same time lose perspective. I strongly disagree with those who want to cancel the memory or contributions because they may have owned slaves. But their contributions to our culture is what helped lead to the freeing of slaves. I know it is hard to separate the emotion of slavery with the values of freedom that eventually led society to apply it more consistently to all people not just those in the majority. There are many times even in our current society where we know what we need to aspire towards, but are inconsistent with or do not want the inconvenience associated with making the immediate change. Many of these voices who are influencing people to reject our history are trying to make us sympathetic towards values that are directly opposed to our traditional values of self-governance, individual freedom, and opportunity. We all understand the idea of the corruption of power. But too many apply those realities exclusively to those in corporate boardrooms and not those in the halls of government. The whole reason America sought the painful, hard, and difficult journey that led to our independence was because early Americans understood the harm of government tyranny. American settlers saw hard-earned income, production, and the fruit of the toil taxed at any level the British crown saw fit at the time. Seized at the discretion of those working for the crown. All for the benefit of those in the United Kingdom of Great Britain. If they needed to fund their conflicts or colonization efforts, Americans and other colonies were the source without any voice or consideration of their own needs and wants. America fought and won our independence and instead of simply just changing the tyrant, our founding fathers implemented a system of government built for the people, by the people, and of the people. Not on the first try but they did after a do-over. But there was of course still inconsistency that was resolved almost a century later. In our modern society, we obsess over the fact that we all do not see the world the same reach the same conclusions after experiencing the same set of facts. But that was true both during our American Revolution, during our Civil War, and today. There were people who did not support our independence and even aided the British. We call those people progressive Democrats today. In all seriousness, there were those who did not feel like the risks would be outweighed by the rewards. 
or they may have understood the benefits but had too much to lose if they supported the efforts. Just like people understand that slavery was wrong. But there was no other option for them to protect their economic interests. Especially when you consider that technology sharing or interstate commerce probably could have helped avoid the war if the North would have just helped industrialize the South before Reconstruction. There are many people today who do not really grasp the fact that America is really a collection of 50 states and additional territories united in a nation under the United States. In other nations, the national government is the law of the land with local governments drawing power from that national government. Not in the United States, the 50 states have constitutional discretion to operate independent of the federal government where they see fit on manners not completely prescribed to the federal government in our constitution. Remember all powers not prescribed to the federal government are held onto by the states per our constitution. Why is this important? There are many benefits of having a unified policy approach. Helps with commerce between states and reduces the cost of compliance. But at the same time, states should have the right to go a different path when the needs and wants of their residents differ from the rest of the nation. For instance, California goes well beyond the federal government in regards to environmental protections. While I may not agree with their policies at times, I do think it is their right to do so. California voters are willing to trade some of their economic activity in favor of a perceived reduction in environmental damage. In the same manner, Texas, Florida, and others went their separate ways on the pandemic lockdowns because they knew their constituents were ready to move past the draconian pause. If you travel the nation, you will experience many similarities with your fellow Americans, but there are notable differences that are unique to the region. Truly open-minded people understand the regional issues may differ and policies that work in one environment may not work in others. While on television, you may think every community is a cookie-cutter version of another, but there are subtle differences. The different cultures and lifestyles will vary the needs and wants of individuals in these communities. For instance, I am from New Jersey and view driving as a staple of life. I prefer not to use public transportation because I am not accustomed to waiting for when I am allowed to proceed to my destination. Much different than people I know from New York City or Philly, where the use of public transportation is common. So if we are planning something, they are more likely to consider train schedules or what station is next to the place where I am more focused on where my keys are located. Just two different ways of living based on where we grew up. The great aspect of America was and still is that people can live the lifestyle of their choosing as long as it was self-sustainable and not harmful towards another. The federal government should not be in the business of deeming one group acceptable and not another if both lifestyles are self-sustainable and not harmful to themselves or others. The main lesson you learn when you visit these hallowed grounds is the price paid to gain independence from tyranny. The price paid to end oppression and expand freedom to all people. And how there were real moments where America could have lost these fights except for the efforts or momentary heroism of individuals. For instance, the famous Battle of Gettysburg was pivotal in preventing the Confederates from winning the Civil War. A battle that did not start off as a clear victory for the Union. Rather a conflict that came down to quick thinking of a Union general leading a regiment almost out of munitions, but willing to take a risky maneuver to swing the battle. Remember the Civil War started in a battle where people thought the conflict would be an afternoon affair. Some actually tried to watch the fighting like it was an afternoon football game. Visiting Antietam, you can see the balcony hit by cannon balls and hear the stories of people falling from these balconies. I am not sure about you, but there is no way I am spectating during a battle. Maybe that is a lesson learned from the Civil War. Although no battle was fought at Valley Forge, the soldiers trained at the camp developed the skills needed to confront the highly vaunted British Army, which was the best in the world at the time. An outcast Hessian general taught early American soldiers the skills needed to hold lines and execute battle formations in another important conflict, where there was doubt about the potential for an American victory. When you stand on these grounds, 
the tour guides do a great job of setting the stage of what you may have seen if you were a soldier during these battles. And they also gave views for our enemies as well, which was very interesting as well. Hearing the stories of the feared rebel yell that the Virginia militia would do from the thickness of the forest created angst amongst their targets. The price paid to secure our nation built on freedom, opportunity, and diversity was high. So you would think Americans would value freedoms and not allow the government to usurp them back so easily. The freedom to speak out against the actions of the government is one that is so important. A freedom many in the world today do not have. Being the son of immigrants, I have family members who have been kidnapped or accosted by governments for being perceived as speaking against the people in power. Our freedoms and opportunities should not be taken for granted. We should never trade these for the temporary and fleeting comforts of government dependency. It is easy to do if you do not remember your history and appreciate it. The good and not so good all create the mix that led to the greatest nation, society, and economy that has stood for freedom, democracy, and peace like no other nation. Now let us bring in the team for a group conversation on recent current events. People in power need to be judicious in how they use their power and influence. The precedent set by the extreme use of positional power can create issues as we currently see where Democrats have normalized the use of impeachment as a tool for political opposition. In response, there are many Trump-supporting Republicans who are growing impatient that the House Republican leadership have not followed suit by pursuing impeachment inquiries into Joe Biden on what appear to be more serious questions than were raised against former President Donald Trump. I believe that Republicans should not blindly use impeachment simply to do a tit-for-tat response to Democrats. But there are some serious questions to be raised here. Congressional Democrats impeached Donald Trump over a phone call. Ironically, the subject matter of the phone call may be the reason why Joe Biden gets impeached. And if proven true, may be the reason why Congress may have no other choice than to remove Biden from office. The question of whether Biden improperly used his influence as vice president using his son Hunter's business dealings as a channel is a valid concern for Americans. At first, it sounded like a stretch by Republicans. But the more information that comes out, the more serious the accusations should be taken. It does not really look good for the current president. Not good at all. The more information that comes out the worse it does look for Biden. There is no good reason for a political leader to ever use fake names and emails to communicate in an official capacity. At the very least, it gives the appearance of impropriety, which is something government leaders are supposed to avoid. But the Biden administration is trying to normalize the inexcusable. Both top candidates for each party have serious baggage. But who is worse? CNN talked about the fact that the indictments against former President Donald Trump have done little to harm Trump amongst Republican voters. Largely because many view the 91 charges as multiple overreaches by a politically motivated effort to prevent Trump's return to power. In reality, the actual impacts are not really that bad. Both have document scandals. So that cancels out. Otherwise, Trump is being prosecuted for things that are not really crimes. Or at least crimes that are at level of the charge. The potential crimes that are stemming from the investigation into Hunter Biden contain accusations that are on face value more impactful than anything Trump is being accused of. Especially if there is a money trail that exists. Now, we do not know if there will ever be a connection between Hunter's actions and the big guy. But that may come at some point. Polls seem to show that Biden is more harmed by legal trouble of his son than Trump is harmed by legal trouble of his own actions. To the point that the next step Democrats are trying to use is attempting to disqualify him from the ballots. Ironically, the same argument being used against Trump could be used against Biden. By any means necessary is what we see from Democrats. They have always been the party of the ends justify the means. 
even if it sets the precedent that harms them in the future. Trump will not be disqualified from ballots. The courts are not going to interfere with our democracy, which is what Democrats want them to do. Democrats might be forced to replace their own candidate because it is growing clearer that he is losing capacity and simply is not doing a good job. And the playful fibs that were tolerated in the past are now becoming full of distortions and disinformation. Not really a good sign if you truly intend to be the party of truth. The truth is that people need to accept that Biden is not really up to the task. But Kamala Harris is definitely not suitable to be president either, despite her claim to be ready. I think many Americans cannot identify a single issue that she has been assigned that did not reflect poorly on her ability. She is the person who does not get the job done or even address the issues or concerns, but wants credit for at least getting the assignment. I think the last time Americans were this worried about how a vice president represented them was when Biden was VP. Someone at some point gave her bad advice in telling her she can cackle away every issue. In that saying incoherent responses is a sign of credible leadership. Democrats may feel overconfident in making her electable. They got a zombie elected president, a vegetable, a comedian, and an extremist elected as senator. So maybe she is their next challenge. The real question is why Republicans were not competent enough to defeat some of the extremists they have faced. But failure on one part gives undue confidence to another. At some point, we need to end the downward spiral of political immorality. But that may not be for a while. House Republicans took the first step towards impeachment with an official inquiry. Not impeachment, but it is a small step closer. Now, let us move on to our next subject. Like many Americans, I grew up eating tomato soup made by Campbell Soup, headquartered in my home state of New Jersey. For me a grilled cheese sandwich is not the same without the side of a hot bowl of tomato soup. Maybe you are not as sentimental about the brand. But I have seen the great things they do for communities and their service to society. They have helped many education organizations that I have supported over the years and they are as socially responsible as you will find in corporate America. But America's soup company's performance results have not embodied the same warm and soothing feelings you get when enjoying their products. In fact, there are some people who are calling for the iconic company to put the entire organization up for sale. I get the need for investors to try to create value for their pooled assets. But I think we need to determine whether appeasing momentary greed is better than restoring the brand's performance for a longer-term perspective. Emotions and investing do not mix. But we should also realize the iconic brands are not easily created so why not preserve something that has established value if possible. Much of the work of the current board is being reported to be scaling down the actions of the past. Refocusing the organization on the American market after efforts to go global with acquisitions of foreign brands that cost too much in comparison to the value attained. No investor wants to fund investments that cost too much and net too little returns. That is understandable. And there is great difficulty in managing global brands where you are not greatly experienced in that particular market. Purchasing a brand and not truly understanding why that is popular may create costly marketing challenges. The more appropriate course of action may be to focus on markets that you already know and grow from there, which seems to be the current focus. In my mind, Campbell's will always be a tomato company first, soup company second, and food company third. I believe the recent acquisition of Rayo's owner Savo's brands is a step in the right direction. Investing in what it does best. Adding a product line to strengthen its presence in tomato products. To be honest, I have not been the biggest fan of its Prego brand. But Rayo's is a great product line. I do not think it will poach sales from the Prego line. So in theory both could grow together with their own space in the sauce market. At one time, Rayo's soup products were competing against the Campbell's dominant lineup but now it can be a complementary line for the Campbell's company. 
I think the Rayos line could be used to target Progresso customers. There are times where I do think activist investors create value for both their investor pool and the organization as a whole. But sometimes they may be too quick to try to scavenge when they might want to create value instead. I think the Campbell's brand is one that should be protected and value created from positioning its products in distinct areas of the consumer experience and grow in popularity beyond just North America. I agree that the acquisition of fresh foods and biscuits was a mistake and rightfully divested from. I think it is heading in the right direction. The recent performance shows that as well. It slightly outperformed recent expectations. Now let us bring the team back in. In this segment, I am giving each one of us a moment to discuss whatever topic, issue, or idea that they would like. For my topic, I am going to briefly discuss the quality of the news content that we experience daily. Let me lower the temperature and not use political news as an example. Let us talk sports news, which has the same issue. How many times have you read a story on ESPN and not really got the whole story? How many times have you had to go to The Athletic to see what the full details of the story are? For instance, the reporting of the Wando Franco suspension or the accusations made against the Michigan State coach? I read a lengthy article on the worldwide leader of sports but the detail of what each were accustomed was not found. Until I went elsewhere. I know I am doing the same. But the point is that news outlets need to do better in their reporting. Why not just provide all the available facts and let the audience make up their own opinion? This is not something that is isolated to sports journalism. I just wanted to use that as an example. But we see that in political and business journalism. Usually when the writer is covering a person or subject that they are supportive of. They do the minimum by telling you a controversy exists but fail to show what that controversy is. I believe that creates more distrust and an appetite for the facts that they will get at a competitor than with the initial publication that raised the topic. If you are going to bring the issue up, then provide all the available facts, evidence, and data. Now, I know some may be available after the story is published, but the importance of breaking a story should be less than the importance of being accurate and factual. So many news outlets are becoming clickbait sources rather than serving any useful service to the reader or the audience in general, which is a disservice. I believe effective leaders are not inherently emotional but are empathetic. Many situations political leaders face are emotional, tragic and difficult. The importance is that these people elected to serve can balance their own emotions with the need to govern in accordance with our laws, values, and most importantly our constitution. Following a tragic shooting that took the life of three children, the governor of New Mexico took a drastic action that many gun rights activists are condemning. The order may not stand up to legal review or even stop anything in reality. It appears she chose political obedience over true leadership by appealing to the we must do anything to appear like we are doing something effective crowd. First, criminals do not follow the laws, which is why they are criminals in the first place. The law forbids people to shoot other people, harm other people through violence, or harass others, yet, criminals seem to not have read that law or simply ignored it. Most likely the latter. The aspect conservatives have with actions following these tragic events is that why are laws enacted to limit the actions of law-abiding gun owners when the criminal element will simply ignore the law? Why take actions that will not solve the actual issue, but are politically focused? The problem from the progressive liberal side is that their view is that if guns are banned there will be no gun violence. But we just recently saw a report of a mass shooting in New Zealand, a nation with extremely strong gun control and confiscation. We all agree that keeping guns away from criminals, the mentally ill, and unstable people is important and the government ought to do this. Yet, we constantly see the government being the reason the bad person was not stopped. 
The major problem with this story is that the governor irresponsibly downplayed the importance of our constitutional rights. She inferred that political leaders should infringe on these rights if they see a political advantage to. Now, there have been some reasonable checks on constitutional rights. But those have been limited in nature and are only reserved for the extremes. Rather the extremist position is made by herself in purposefully infringing on the rights of the law-abiding. The loss of life resulting from a crime is unacceptable. But you must address the crime not just using the event to advance your political career. Her order will not make anyone safer. Just an attempt to put herself in the spotlight at a time when many are questioning the suitability of rerunning Joe Biden. So you want to be a sanctuary city? A sanctuary state? Well I guess not really. The challenge for those who take boldly rigid ideological political positions is actually living up to those positions when the moment calls for it. For instance, there are many Republicans who run on conservative positions during their campaigns. But when it comes time to try to rein in spending, bolstering our national security, or enhancing our border security, they are democrat light. The immigration crisis is once again upon us and much worse than during the Obama era, where at least the Obama administration was willing to pretend to provide some resistance to the border invasion. Now, the Biden administration has done all it can to help foster the violation of our immigration laws. Unfortunately, Republican governors have aided this effort but in a strategic manner. The Biden administration was already transporting illegals throughout the nation in the darkness of night. Texas Governor Greg Abbott basically decided that if Democrats want sanctuary cities and states, why not send the illegals to these communities that say they want them instead of letting the federal government deposit them in conservative areas, depressing their budgets and harming their communities. Turns out that cities like New York City, Boston, Chicago, and others do not really want to be sanctuaries for illegals, who are stretching their resources, overcrowding facilities, and harming the communities for people who are paying the taxes used to fund the efforts. People are fed up seeing illegal encampments taking up space, hotels being overbooked, and communities just declining. Many of these leaders are realizing this is not sustainable, while others are doubling down on this progressive stupidity. Interesting to see how these political leaders are going to try to coerce people to house and board these illegals. How these communities' taxpayers are going to enjoy seeing tax rates increase to provide services to people who do not pay taxes and should be sent back to properly immigrate here. Tolerance of illegal immigration does not make you a good person. It makes you an idiot. You place the interest of the criminal over the people who are being harmed through no fault of their own. People who are seeing the quality of education for their children diminish for people who are not paying their fair share. Now the knee-jerk reaction will be to claim I am against immigration. But that is absolutely not the case. I am for legal immigration. All the while this crisis is taking place, people who are seeking to enter legally are being denied visas and entry. In the progressive world the good are not good enough for consideration and given what they truly earned, but the bad actors are allowed to get all the benefits. How is that fair and equitable? Finally, let us discuss the prominent labor strikes that are currently underway and one that may come pretty soon. America is generally opposed towards market collusion, except when it comes in the form of collective bargaining. Politics allow for the labor side of the market to collude on demands for compensation, work conditions, and benefits, along with other things. Of course, employers are not afforded that same luxury. A purposeful market inequity. Defensible in a sense when you consider the power and monetary aspects of the dynamic. I would still argue that the closed labor markets in industries that are collectively bargained actually harm the laborer, the employers, and the consumer. 
The more open markets where workers can market their skills more widely actually give them access to better economic outcomes, protect the viability of companies, and protect the consumer interests. But the whole goal of collective bargaining to protect against the floor dropping too far and too fast. The strike involving the writers in Hollywood and the production companies that buy their services is still ongoing apparently. It might be the strike that no one truly cares about right now. People are not tuning into live broadcasts as much. Streaming is much more prevalent than live shows for most people. And the abundance of content and recyclable content is appeasing the crowd for now, many of whom are somewhat isolated from the impact at this point. These workers have an interesting conundrum. The presence and potential for artificial intelligence is a direct threat towards their livelihood. In the same manner that the automated teller machine had on the bank teller. Technology can make many of them obsolete and make the market exclusive for the true cream of the crop whose wit and timing cannot be replicated with technological solutions. Now there are many celebrities who are standing alongside these writers in solidarity with their position. A perfect example of people being traditionalists when beneficial to their interests and concerns. If a person is truly progressive, then would their default position be to accept new technology and say sorry but technology is making your position obsolete. Maybe try to find work building solar panels or coding. I believe that the art of writing shows and content is skill that cannot be completely replaced but artificial intelligence can make their work less burdensome. Now there is a radio show that is reportedly completely artificial intelligence and probably some news content that may be the same. But I do think you still will need writers to tweak the produced content. Can technology truly know what people will react to and consistently deliver the laughs, emotion, and other reactions needed to maintain interest and ratings for shows? I am not sure it can adjust as people may fear and not as a quickly as when their next contract will need to be negotiated. There always is a great promise with the presence of new technology. But also are promises that do not come to fruition. Where are the hovercrafts and floating cities that people thought would be here by now? Well there are hovercrafts to some degree but nothing like what we envisioned. So I think hysteria can make us put the cart in front of the horse at times. Artificial intelligence will be a great benefit but will still need human interaction maybe not as much as currently employed. But those good at their jobs will still have jobs. But unionized thinking really obsessed about the bottom performers more so that advancing the industry. Then again much of the innovation in labor production can be tied to the cost and actions of unions, which force producers to look for ways to reduce dependence on human workers. A not-so-unexpected result or consequence of collective bargaining. The current fight between the writers and production companies will probably be resolved soon not really a disruption to the overall economy. But a threat that will have a far greater impact will be the labor strike looming over the American auto industry, where all three of the big three may see strikes occur from the United Auto Workers Union. Now, the inventory of vehicles is higher than normal ahead of the projected disruption. And we can also project that the federal government will intervene if the disruption lasts too long. Like it did with the rail workers. But the last thing consumers need is anything that drives up cost and reduces access. Hopefully, the strike can be averted and that sides can reach reasonable agreements. But holding out for a reported 40% raise and 25% decrease in hours is not a good formula for the industry. In closing, a big thank you to all of you in the audience. Your viewership is appreciated and valued. Please follow the Christopher Peter Review on social media and continue to visit www.crcreview.com for new episodes. Thank you once again. Until next time.